Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Work It Out podcast, where we invite leaders and experts with a wide range of insights for you. From startups to global brands, we dive into the ins and outs of their industries to work out their formulas for success. This week, we have the pleasure to be joined by Alex Fedorov, a seasoned software engineering leader with 15 years of professional and nine years of Olympian level programming experience dedicated to driving transformative changes in the software industry. Serving as the head of engineering at Wright Capital, he's not only an award-winning coder, but also a mentor and guide for his teams, nurturing a culture of innovation and efficiency. His wealth of knowledge and experience in leadership is distilled in 10x Software Engineering Delivery, a book designed to empower tech leaders and revolutionize their software delivery processes. Enjoy listening. Welcome, Alex, to the Work It Out podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Bogdan. It's a very nice to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really happy that we made it happen because we've been collaborated for the past month and we've touched upon um, a few very interesting topics, um, Yeah, which would require a much longer podcast. Um, but since our time is limited today, I, I chose, let's say, or we chose three main topics, uh, which are your story, how you joined Ride and the development of Ride until now and how you play the role in this development. And finally, uh, talking about delivering business value, increased productivity, and a way of working. So without any further ado, I would like to start with a short bio, a short intro of your career until now, because you've had two careers, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about this. I will not go into too much details because last time I tried to do this with somebody, it took us two hours and we got only half in. So it'll be very quick. Um, I have a long forgotten career, which I did when I was a teenager and a student in university, which was a Olympian programming career where we competed at a country and international level in uh, teams for programming competitions, doing lots and lots of algorithmic programming, making really efficient algorithms and fighting against the problem authors. This was a lot of fun and it has taught me a lot, uh, especially in terms of uh, working in teams because uh, last five years of that experience was a lot of teamwork because we had to uh, work as C persons at, on one computer. And you might uh, start to understand why I'm gravitating towards pair programming naturally in my career because I've kind of did this. We had to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I started my professional career and uh, I'm originally from Ukraine, so of course, obviously started there. I worked a little bit for a local consultancy for my first project as an intern. And then later on, I moved to an accounting startup, which is quite quite interesting because the, I got this very early uh, encounter with accounting and right now I'm working for a company that also is in that in that space. And at least uh, one of our product is. So it's, mm-hmm. it's helpful to have that business domain understanding. and. After that, I've also worked in uh, another agency consultancy where I first encountered uh, Agile NXP practices. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I learned pairing. I learned testament development there already and uh, like basic Scrum, daily planning, uh, retrospective, etc. all the uh, usual Agile processes. And then, of course, wherever I was after that, I was always trying to introduce more and more of this and try to learn more and more uh, about these topics. So after that, I've moved to Berlin um, in Germany, and it was in 2014 for a company called Vimto, which was a clone of Airbnb. This was also a lot of fun. I met uh, really awesome people. This was a really big growth uh, opportunity for me because I had to switch from different culture and 
that basically made me develop my soft skills a lot and my people skills. Mm-hmm. Then later I worked for Brainly. It was a startup from Poland. Um, it was an interesting uh, kind of an interesting trip into world of microservices. That was fun. Um, and then after that, I worked at Pivotal. This was a really uh, long tenure uh, for almost four years. Um, and this was a consultancy. So I've consulted with a lot of clients on different projects. So I got to see lots and lots and lots of stuff, lots and lots of technical problems, but also people problems and organizational problems, and, and even got my hands dirty at solving some of them. This was nice. also a very good experience for me. <laughs> and this is where I learned uh, most of the stuff that uh, I put in place uh, today, almost on day one when I joined any team or any company, um, which was extreme programming and this very agile approach, which includes, you know, bad programming and test-driven development and uh, quick iterations, the quick feedback cycles and CICT and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and then after uh, I quit uh, Pivotal, I decided to go on my own for, for, for four months. And I, in these four months, I've launched uh, three products in health. Um, one of them was close to be successful, but the business model turned out to be not quite what I wanted it to be. I, was, I wanted me to see a uh, startup, but I turned out that it would be more perfect fit for B2B and not B2C at all. Uh, so I, I, I kind of said, oh, I don't, don't want to do this. <laughs> so I moved on to something else. Um, and however, then later I've encountered an interesting uh, meetup, which was a meetup uh, called Cashflow Warriors here in Berlin. And they, they have played my first cashflow game, um, which is an educational game that teaches you investment and finances uh, principles yes, and, and, yeah. and breaks mm-hmm. your uh, ass- like assumptions and limiting beliefs in that area. For example, I had a limiting belief, two of them, that to start investing, I need 500K minimum. And another limiting belief that uh, uh, only, only stupid people take, uh, go and take loans from the bank, which are completely wrong in, in the investment world, right? And then I learned that, oh, this is interesting. I com- it completely changed my world. Uh, and this is where actually uh, right comes in. Mm-hmm. I've, because I realized that I've been burning my own money and I should have been burning somebody else's money <laughs> instead of my own uh, for the pr- trying to launch a product, right? Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, well, let me be on the market again. So I, I stopped burning money. So I have some cash flow coming in and I can burn, burn some of that, right? Um, and uh, my friend, CTO, um, uh, posted uh, my profile like on AlphaList uh, channel in Berlin and Christine uh, looked at it and, and seen it and also there was a recommendation from my other former colleague that uh, and he put me there and said that yeah this, this is an amazing person so I had a very high level of a kind of like a recommendation in there like inside the recommendation and so Christine reached out to me and had a coffee with Felix and Christine in, in their small office back then because they were just working alone with a couple of freelancers um, and once I've heard that Felix has six cash flow games at home, I was sold on joining in, right? right? So for me, it was like, okay, this is exactly what I need right now. This is my opportunity to get into finance investing and learn it really, really deeply. And I was super, super excited about this. Additionally, I was super excited to build engineering from scratch because I was basically the first full-time employee and, I, and there was a, this was an opportunity. So I took this on and I signed the contract next day and started it uh, on Monday right after. And yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's super interesting. Thanks first of all for the for the for the overview. I think it's very interesting that you started, let's say, technically during your Olympian times, and then were more and more interested in the people side, and also the change to Germany, and then 
Uh, I would say there's so many limiting beliefs, I think for everyone and for me as well, when looking at the space. And this is why Ride is very interesting um, and a new product. I've, I had never really seen anything like Ride uh, until now. But if I'm, uh, so you were the first employee of Ride. So how many people were there when you joined? <clears throat> yes. So when I joined, uh, we had a uh, working student uh, for legal advice and we had um, uh, a freelancer developer from India working remotely. And we had the freelancer developer from Germany who was already uh, resigning at that moment. Okay. So they, they've, they've been building like some kind, some, uh, some ground uh, at the beginning of this MVP platform. Okay. Of Ride. And what was the MVP platform? platform at the time. Ah, yes. So maybe I should uh, talk a little bit about how we started and how it all evolved. I can, I can give you the story. So we started with, um, uh, tokenization of blockchain, uh, tokenization of real estate on the blockchain. Um, and the pain point that we tried to solve was to ensure that people don't have to go through grueling process of six to nine months, uh, of notaries and paperwork and all, all of the things, if they wanted to do fractional real estate investment with. 10, 20, 50 other investors together, which, which was what was at, in Germany at the time, a problem, a pain point. Yeah. We actually launched the solution, I think in April or May, 2020. And uh, it was in production and we had our first hundred something uh, customers that, that invested in uh, five projects that we had back, back then at the time. However, um, it, we were struggling to get uh, like official permission from Baffin to uh, market that publicly. Okay. Right. So this, this, this process was very long and very slow, and we decided to try to build something else in the meantime, while we are waiting for that, uh, license to, to come through. Mm. It was actually not license. It was like a letter confirming that we don't need the license <laughs> because, because our model did not require a license, but even if your model, it doesn't require a license, you still need to get a letter confirming that. That's German bureaucracy in a nutshell. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but but I think it's also it's good, and it was also in the scope of uh, Wirecard's scandal back back then. This was also like top of the mind of the regulator. So I, I think that that's a good approach in general because then people could create uh, new models that actually they probably should license, and they would. Yeah, they need this confirmation. They need this ability to say, yeah, now we think this should be licensed actually. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that's the false innovation, so it's, it's a trade-off. And then um, what happened is there was a change in, in, the, in the law, in tax law in Germany. Yeah. That would uh, create problems uh, for uh, option traders and similar derivative traders. Okay. Uh, for, for them, that would limit, if they are doing this trading privately, uh, that would limit how much losses they can show to the tax office. And that's problem problematic because if they have um, a lot of profit, a lot of revenue versus a lot of losses, and they have like tiny profit, um, they should be taxed twenty six point something percent on that uh, by as a capital gain tax. Uh, however, because of that loss limiting, they their effective tax rate can ra raise to fifty percent, one hundred percent, to two hundred percent. They might actually pay more in, in taxes than they earned in the end of the day in a year. So for a significant the customer segment of um, these traders and even investors who use these uh, derivative instruments, it became uh, almost like a life-changing decision. Do I, can I even continue doing this? 
or should I just find a job, especially for the, the retired traders? Okay. Because they basically can't do this anymore. Uh, they have to either completely revamp their strategy and switch to different financial instruments that don't have that problem, or they have to stop doing this. However, there was a third solution, and we knew of it because we, we were uh, kind of experts in, in the area of uh, of structure, uh, company structuring, because that's what we were doing for um, for these real estate tokenizations. We were doing company structuring, and, and we, of course, are aware of all how all of these financial instruments work in these uh, structures. And we thought about, okay, well, actually, there's a solution for all of these traders and investors is to open a company. They can continue trading with it in it without restrictions. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was a good reason why uh, the, the regulator wanted to limit this individually because individuals can report just uh, total numbers. And that allowed for some weird ways to avoid taxes for individuals basically forever, yeah, every year. And they, of course, wanted to, instead of having, uh, imposing more reporting guidelines on individuals, they instead just said, okay, let's put a limit on it that, uh, that this kind of tax avoidance becomes un- unprofitable. Um, and that's it. And that solved the problem. But that created another problem is that now all these traders need to move to a company. And in company, there's no restriction like this because a company has much higher reporting standards. So they need to do full double bookkeeping accounting. And that means that uh, they, they cannot use that trick anymore. So the, because tax office can audit everything. What's happening there. So that's uh, that's why the company is there. And this is where in May we thought, okay, let's launch a digital product that would make it super easy for these traders and investors to found the proper structure uh, to, to create the company um, that would allow them to keep uh, basically don't change their lifestyle. So allow them to keep trading in the same way that they're trading or invest in the same way that they invest in. And so that means that Ride then also helps with the accounting part. Yes. And this is interesting. We don't help directly with accounting part. Mm-hmm. What we have is that we have this Ride platform on which we have partner tax advisors who are on the platform. We have the customers on the platform and we kind of connect them using our what we call admin service. Okay. Um, and that admin service uh, allows them to, you know, have services of a tax advisor who actually knows who, how to book and how to do accounting and tax reporting for these uh, ty- types of assets and especially the complex ones. Because uh, not every tax advisor is expert in this, so because you need to have specific expertise to this. Additionally, um, there was another problem that our customers had is that it's also very expensive to do this type of tax reporting and accounting in a company because it's double bookkeeping. And if you are a frequent trader, you join too many transactions and tax advisors book these transactions manually mm-hmm. uh, and they charge hourly, of course. Okay. This. Yeah. And, and tax advisors, the rates are very high. And and this is where we come in. We, we built a product for tax advisors that we sell to tax advisors. It's called BEPA or BEPA PV Bochum, which stands for um, Security Bookings Accounting. And essentially what we did is we automated, with the help of our partner tax advisors, we've automated a lot of the rules that they would have to apply manually. And then we essentially connect to the trading account of the customer. We collect the trading data, then we uh, transform it into the actual accounting bookings and we ship that to, to the, their partner tax advisor. And partner tax advisor just needs to do review and verify that everything is correct. And they then they put their stamp of approval on that as a tax advisor and submit this as a report. 
From the 28th to the 30th of November 2023, professionals of the cards and digital trust technologies industries will once again take center stage at Trust Tech, the annual meeting place of their ecosystem which will take place at Paris Expo, Porte de Versailles. A popular mix of trade shows and conference, Trust Tech showcases the latest hardware and technologies involved in the markets related to payments, identification and security. Entry to the event is free, covering both the visit of the exhibition and attendance to the conferences, so make sure to grab your free badge today by visiting trusttech-event.com. Right, so until now, I've counted three products. And yes, that's three products, sorry. Three different yeah. targets, right? Um, it's a similar target audience because the people who, who want to invest in real estate are the same people who want to trade and invest uh, via stock market. Mm -hmm. So first of all, what happened to the first so real estate investment? Is right. Still so, so real estate investment is still technically for the, we have, for because of the legacy project, yeah, uh, legacy mm -hmm. product. So we still have uh, seven projects running that are tokenized with existing investors. We, we keep okay. running them. However, we are starting to, to wind them down. Okay. okay. Because uh, because we are we're basically getting distracted by this product and what we have right now is much better for, for the business. We might return to that model at some point, but it will be much later in the game. Mm -hmm. And is this, um, so you have your legacy product that is now slowly phased out. Mm -hmm. Then you have this, let's say, two-sided product um, towards traders and investors and mm -hmm. accountants or, let's say, tax advisors. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else that comes into play? And how yes. do you look at solving problems? How do you identify solving problems? And uh, you mentioned this term to me, right. startup, and this is the direction that, that I'm obviously going to. <laughs> yes, yes. So that, that makes sense. Um, we have actually two more products, not three more products. Mm -hmm. And we identified what should we build by listening to our customers, to their pain points, what, what is actually painful. And additionally, we we are going to our customers and we are organizing events so we can talk to them. And our salespeople obviously talk to them every day. However, we have also advantage that we have customers in the building. Or okay. both of our founders, me, couple of employees over there sitting in, in, in an office, we are yep. also customers. We have GS, we have IS, we have Vepa, we have all of this. And, and yep. we, we want to trade, invest, and structure our wealth. Yes. yes. We eat, uh, it, we truly eat our do own do dog food and not because we've been forced to by somebody, by like a manager, but because we want to. Mm -hmm. And so how does it, how does, let's say, having five products or five running products and then having various ideas, how does that affect your way of working? <clears throat> right. That's a very good question. So, um, so when I think about right, and I think about a uh, number of customers that we have and number of products that we've launched to product market fit and beyond, um, and the trajectory on which we're going uh, from outside that if I were looking at this, I would think, oh, it's probably like 200 to 150 people company, right? Mm -hmm. But from inside, when I look at all our human resources, like employees plus freelancers plus contractors, that's uh, that comes up to I think just under fifty or something like this right now. Um, yeah. So from that perspective, I think that we are a five x company right now. Mm -hmm. So we are five five times more efficient than the average company would be. So we, yes, we have to be really efficient with our uh, value delivery and focus of what we are working on, what we are not working on. Yes. 
So that, that's a very important point. And then there's another important point is the, the products that we launched, they're not just random products, they're all interrelated in, in the way where the customer, uh, the more of our products the customer actually gets, the, the happier they become, the more successful they become. Okay, so 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 you are then, um, uh, let's say, more efficient or an increasing or an increased delivery company. So you're doing basically more with less people. Um, yes, you mentioned this point of value or value delivery, delivering value to your customers, and I think this proposes also a balance between continuously delivering that value. And I think this is interesting to see it, how you how you look at this and also your process of uh, establishing what is value and, and what not. And also how you maintain value, because of course you need to maintain products as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe for, for someone or for a developer out there or a software engineer, it may seem, oh my God, this means, you know, these people are working for 12, 13, 14 hours a week. Is that the case or how do you do it? <laughs> how many hours per week did you say? Uh, per week, sorry, per, per day. Per day, you mean, yeah. Hey, no, yeah, yeah, no yeah. we're not. We we are definitely not all of us. So to, I, I, I work a lot, but that's because I'm passionate about stuff. And I also work, work on my own things that I find really interesting. So I have like kind of a hobby. Um, however, nobody's expected here to work into late hours. So essentially you can see people start, if we start at 10, they probably finish at seven. People who started nine, they finish at six. And we have some people who started at eight and finish at five. So essentially from that perspective, um, most of our fo- folks are working normal hours. Mm-hmm. What, what they are is just they're, they're more efficient on both business side, but also on, uh, on on product and engineering side as well. And, you know, as a head of engineering, I will talk about product and engineering a little bit more in detail, yes. Yes. if you don't mind. Um, course, yes. How we accomplish this? So we accomplish this by uh, controlling what what percentage of time we get to spend on delivering new business value to our customers and to our business stakeholders versus yes. how, how much time we are spending on uh, maintenance of existing business value and yes. versus how much time we're spending wasting in, yes. in waste. Because you could also think that you're doing something valuable, but actually has no value and, at all, and then this becomes a waste in every day. And and how we are doing this? So we're doing this by making sure that, well, first of all, let's take a look at the problems. Why would a company spend much more time on maintenance than on actually new valuable delivery? Yeah. The, the companies that spend, there are, there are companies out there that spend, let's say 90% of their time on maintenance and only 10% of the time delivering new value. They're already quite large, so they're larger than us, of course. Um, however, they, they get there quite early to that point. And why why they have it? Like whenever I talk to developers from from these companies, uh, they would they will complain about about this. They would say, "Oh, we just spend most of our time fixing bugs, yeah. and then and then and then we get to work on the feature once in a while." So this this is something, for example, over here. Then there is another company out there where there was this project. For one year to rewrite the whole code base and essentially develop like small development team convinced business that this is a good idea and they'll be much easier to work on mm-hmm. the business said okay well since you have to do this because it seems like you can't deliver anything anymore i guess 
do this thing, we write it. So they spend one year writing. And one year later, they're not at feature parity yet. So their their new new software works, but it has less value than the old one. So it's actually a negative value delivery in, technically. So the value has reduced. Uh, and it's actually not easier to work with okay. than the, the old one was. And also, additionally, uh, half of the team has already quit. So there's also knowledge lost. So there are cases like this. This this is a ter terrific uh, case of uh, waste. Great waste. And so, so then you are, so how do you make sure then that you're not wasting? Or you're not how, how do we make sure of that? Well, we yeah. make sure that we don't have a lot of bugs. So we make sure that this, the bug is actually a very rare occurrence, mm -hmm. especially critical bugs that need to be you know worked on right away and cannot wait. Mm -hmm. And we do this by ensuring that we have very high test coverages that we can actually trust that our you know uh, encode business scenarios and uh, behaviors that we expect our systems to have. So we can sleep at night well knowing that our systems run exactly like we want them to run. Yes, sometimes we encounter situations where what we thought is what we wanted to run actually runs like we want, but that's not what customer wants. But that is in our case, not about we know, okay, yeah, it runs like that because that's how we designed it. And now we need to change it. Yeah, let's change it. So from our perspective, that's just uh, sometimes there was a wrong assumption about what is valuable and it changed. And so we need to update. Uh, but we basically have very, very rare uh, cases of bugs or incidents in our system where we need to, you know, run something, fix it. So we can actually focus on new value delivery mm -hmm. much more. So, so, so talking about value and going back a bit before we go into into your way of working. So, how do you determine what value to deliver? Yes. Where is it more valuable? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that makes sense. So. There are three different levels of value definition. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about business value, you could define business value as an indicator or measure of expected uh, positive benefits that this particular change that you're wanting to implement will deliver to your customer or to your business, uh, to business stakeholders, uh, depending on the kind of change you're doing. That is uh, what I, I call this expected business value. And then uh, there's a second level of business value, which which I call shipped expected business value. That's where you actually implemented some the feature set you expect to have that business value, and you shipped it to customer, so customers have it and can use it. So it's like it's in production and it's usable, and customers uh, can use it. Right. And there's the third final bastion, final level of value, which is uh, actualized business value, and that one's tricky because that one's usually outside of our control. So okay. if uh, the expected business value, we can think hard about it, and it's in our control. Uh, and as shipped business value, we can we can have really good way of working and ship that expected business value the way that we think that it will be. But actualized business value can be different, can end up being different what we thought. So for example, we thought that we'll be saving the customer 30% of time uh, or, th or 30 minutes per day or something like this with, uh, with the new feature set. But actually we're saving only 20 when we look at the data once we shipped. Okay, well, we delivered in then actualize less business value. And because this is also our control, there are ways to deal with it. So we do like lean startup approach and many viable experiments and prototypes and everything. So we can kind of reduce the risk of us missing the mark completely. So mm -hmm. uh, so that's something that we do in more in product, but also engineering helps with that. But in actual engineering, software engineering, we focus more on this thing that we can control much, much more precisely, which is uh, shipped expected business value. 
So that one we want to maximize essentially at all times. Because that is uh, sort of the, the testing phase. In a sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And from well, that's that not testing phase, it's ship phase. So we ship that to production to customers. It's just that uh, we don't know yet whether uh, that actually delivers the value we, we expect it to deliver, but usually it does. So usually we have, by that time that we are building, we have high confidence, but we might still be slightly off the mark. We might not do exactly what we thought it does. And then the reason to focus on that is to be faster, to the, to ship it faster? Um, yes. So we want to be more efficient. So we ship this, we find ways to ship it faster. So for example, one of the ways to ship faster expected business value is to pair program and uh, use tensor in development. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain to you how that works. So yes. when you write uh, good tests and tensor uh, development process when followed properly creates good tests that, that you can actually trust and leave. Uh, and you can, for example, our test suite is so good that uh, we can deploy on Friday evening and then we can go and party and we don't worry about it. That's literally, that's what we do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That's the level of trust that we have with this test. Suite. Of course, we sometimes have problems, but then they're usually easy to fix because we know exactly what's wrong and where. Yeah. Um, and then um, besides that, you, you, you apply pair program because every time as a human, you make a mistake in development, you usually uh, then have to find that mistake before you can fix it. So it's not something that oh, I made this mistake, I fixed it immediately. Uh, that's something that you need to debug your system until you find what mistake you did in development in that development session. And this could take you anywhere from five minutes to three hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when when you have a pair that is fully engaged and attacks the problem together with you, so you're, you're co-creating, uh, the likelihood that you both make the same mistake is uh, much, much reduced. So which means that you're making a mistake and your pair sees it, or your pair is making a mistake and you see it. So you can spot it when it happens, not 20 minutes later when you already don't know where it is anymore. So this saves also a lot of time just because you're not wasting time debugging anymore. Mm -hmm. So these are two key practices we apply that uh, together make uh, us more efficient and ship faster and with less bugs, which allows us to work more on business value and less on bugs and problems. And the third, uh, uh, the third thing that we do is called trunk-based development, which means that or we push directly to a single branch, main branch, and that goes to staging and we can deploy that for the production once we're happy with that in staging, if I'm in. Um, and that means that all developers use the same branch. And we also don't require a code review process when the code was pared down. Or if, if we had an ensemble programming session where three developers or more wrote this code. So we assume that if somebody paired or and sample programmed on a code that is peer reviewed already. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. So then there's no wait time. Like if, if we write in the code and we were in is a pair and we were engaged, we would be able to ship it to production right after we're done. We don't have to wait until some somebody to review it next day or whatever. That's also so increasing efficiency. So it may, exactly. So the ultimate, uh, let's say the ultimate, um, goal is to the ultimate result is to improve efficiency is time saving it leads to less mistakes and then ultimately delivering value faster do you see this way of working since we've been talking of you being a 5x company mm -hmm. do you see it increasing i guess we want to increase uh further however our increases are now in one percent plus one percent to plus ten percent area 
like we it's very hard to go to x right now so when you're doing like we have uh, also another practice that we use is called continuous improvement so we always trying to continuously improve bit by bit because at this point uh, um there are almost no opportunities to make a jump anymore it's just uh, like continuous improvement five ten percent at a time when we find something that we can improve you mentioned 10x to me um yes what what is that goal when when what does it relate <laughs> yes so this is uh this is my pet peeve uh um can can i can i promote something in this podcast of course, of course. i actually <laughs> wrote a book it's called <laughs> Tenix Software Engineering. Sorry, it's mm-hmm. called Tenix Software Engineering Delivery. Mm-hmm. I, I just uh, finished uh, writing it uh, a couple of weeks ago and I published it already. Okay, where can we find it? <clears throat> Our own website, tenixsoftwareengineering.com. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, this is where I basically go into full system construction, how to construct uh, the system for software engineering delivery from scratch, starting from values, going through principles and ending with practices that all kind of multiply each other and get us to this 10x point or even beyond that, right? Um, and also, uh, I discuss uh, there how to essentially avoid falling into trap of 0.1x because it's, your as a company, you start maybe at 1x because you start where you have nothing, you start at 1x and you can either be going towards 10x over time or you can be falling down into trap of 0.1x and eventually get in there where you can't move anymore. And this is very crucial to avoid that trap. At least stay at 1x or above, uh, but then going to 10x, of course, is the goal. Okay, okay. Very interesting, very interesting. Well, of course, um, I will check it out as well. And uh, of course, our readers, um, or sorry, listeners, but definitely, I think, yeah, be, be direct to your page as well. So um yeah very interesting topic and i feel like we could continue for an hour for two hours and we could dig yeah. deeper, deeper um <laughs> however our time is limited so before we go um i want to ask um two little questions in one first of all mm-hmm. what's next for you and what is next for ride <clears throat> next for me is uh implementing um implementing more of continuous improvement that we, where we do. So we, we, we got on board really great people. By the way, thank, thanks, thanks to Bogdan. Like, uh, there are some really, really good people now on board and uh, one more join in August. And I am really excited about this because uh, I think we can build uh, really next level because I'm now, now I'm, I'm able with uh, the people that we have to think a little bit more strategically and in terms of how do we reach this compound startup milestone. And we are already compound startup, which we just need to become better at, at being one. Um, and uh, what I want to do is I want to ex- export our engineering culture to the rest of the company in some way or form, like where, however it needs to adapt, because I think it's a stronger culture. And I also want to uh, every business stakeholder to be able to actually launch a product uh, launching the video of a product and validate the idea and then if uh, they if that idea feels like something that customers want and it's also a real pain point they want to buy that product and it fits in the whole picture of compound startup then they would get engineers for that oh, okay. so i want to do like almost like an internal accelerator 
in a company. That that's my idea. But this is now I'm talking about two three years timeline, not something we do in next months. So that's next uh, for me and for Wright. But it's it's both. I I, both. I am I'm still at Wright for many years to come. I think. Yes, and I and I feel like uh, Wright will definitely be growing and uh, yeah, gaining traction in Germany. Um, and we'll be definitely keeping an eye on rides uh, well, for the for the future years to come. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Is there anything that you want to say as closing or we didn't touch upon? Oh, well, get my book. I, I heard that's really good from the people who already started reading it. Let's go. <laughs> cool, Alex, uh, thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Work It Out. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button and follow our social media channels to stay updated with the latest from PCN Podcasts.